This episode of Trip Weddings is brought to you by FreshBooks, the super simple cloud accounting software that's giving thousands of freelancers and small businesses the tools to save time billing and get paid faster. Try it free at freshbooks.com weddings. This week on Trip Weddings, we are pleased to welcome Jared Platt back to the show. Uh, Jared is a photographer, writer, and instructor who has probably forgotten more about Lightroom than most people remember. And we last had Jared back on episode 42, where he joined us to discuss workflows. And we had so much to talk about, we never managed to get into Lightroom. So Jared is back for a deeper dive into Lightroom, and we'll share our tips and strategies for working quickly and efficiently in Lightroom. And welcome back to another episode of Twip Weddings. My name is Bruce Clark, and I am joined by one of my regular co-hosts, Mr. Brian Caparici. No Robert today. Robert is off in, uh, in London shooting a wedding. He might pop up, though, so we'll see. If he comes like kind of like Doctor Who, he'll just appear in the photo booth or, or in, the, in the phone booth. He'll just appear, and we'll know. But we are really happy uh, this week to have Jared Platt back on the show. So welcome back, Jared. Thank you. Excellent. We had you back on episode 42 and we had a really great discussion. Uh, you shared some really valuable tips and, and advice and so did Brian on kind of uh, to help wedding photographers improve their workflows. So we really got into that conversation. The real intent was we wanted to get into Lightroom and talk about some specific Lightroom tips, but we had so much great content and stuff to talk about that we really didn't get into that. Um, so this week we've got Jared back and we're going to do a bit of a deeper dive into some specific Lightroom tips uh, to help wedding photographers become more efficient at what they do. But uh, before we do that, before we get into the show, we want to remind you how you can participate. We've got several different ways. Uh, first, you can visit the website at thisweekinphoto.com slash weddings. Uh, there you're going to find the show notes for each episode. So any any links or anything that we mention or pics, all that kind of great stuff, we put those in the show notes for each episode. Um, you can also ask us a question. So if you're on the website, uh, just click on the contact us link at the top of the page and then select TWIP Weddings from the drop down list to send us a message. Uh, if you prefer using Twitter, you can use the hashtag TwipWed. We'll keep our eye out for those posts. And uh, we've also got an Instagram account, TwipWed, and we're also on Facebook. So look for us there. A lot of people joining our Facebook group each week and lots of great discussion and people are sharing their work and inspiration. So it's good stuff. All right. So let's uh, let's get into it. Let's jump into the show. So like I say, um, this week we've got Jared Platt back uh, to talk to us about Lightroom workflows. And if you want to learn more about what we talked about, go back and listen to episode 42. Um, that's where we spend a lot of time sort of talking about the at a high level kind of the concept of workflows. But then we talked about um, things like how we all manage our cards and how we back up and all those kinds of things. So we really got into the workflow from the sort of at capture time. So we brought Jared back uh, because we want to, you know, talk more about Lightroom and get into some specific Lightroom tips. So welcome back to the show, Jared. Glad to be here. Excellent. So maybe just just a quick recap for those. I know we sort of introduced you and introduced you to the audience back on episode 42. But for those who are maybe just tuning into this episode and haven't listened to it, uh, give us the quick overview. Who is Jared Platt and uh, why are you sort of known as the Lightroom, Lightroom expert? Well, um, I am a wedding photographer, and so obviously I cull a lot of images and deal with a lot of images. Um, but I studied photography as a undergraduate and a master's student. And then as I finished my master's degree, I, I needed a job. And so I got a job as a, a 
an assistant or a really a, a studio manager for a commercial studio in Phoenix. And uh, so I kind of learned the practice of being a photographer, even though I was taking some weddings and, and, and doing things kind of on the side as I was going through a master's degree, I was taking, like I, my first job as a photographer was actually as a frat and sorority party photographer. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. And that was back in the days of film. And so I would, I would show up at my job and they would hand me a bag of 43 or 45 rolls of film. And I would take that Ziploc bag full of film with me to a frat or a sorority party, and I would shoot all of it. So okay. 43 rolls of film. And then I would come back and I would hand it to them that night. So I, I had no social life in college because I would show up every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. I would go to these frat parties. So I was at the most drunken brawls. And, and ASU is at the time was the number one party school in the world. That's um, a good, good I, uh, you know, thing to have yeah. is behind your accreditation, right? The right, number right, one party right. school. Yeah. <laughs> That's all we had. But anyway, <laughs> so, so I would show up at these events and I was at the craziest parties, but I never had any social life in college. Yeah, it sounds like a wedding photographer. Very much. <laughs> yeah. And so it, it trained me, but I was learning, um, by trial by fire, basically, because back then there was no autofocus, there was no um, auto exposure. I was using a, K, a Pentax K1000 camera with a 50 millimeter lens, and then I had one of those bracket flashes, and I was exposing the flash based on my f-stop and how far away I was from the person, and so I would I would determine. If I'm, you know, eight feet away, I'm going to use F4. And if I'm five feet away, I'm going to use F5.6. And if I'm really close, get, and then I use F8. And yeah. that would determine what my flash power was. Um, and consequently, obviously, it would give me more depth of field. Um, but anyway, so I was doing all of that. And, uh, and then I would take that film back and I got paid by the usable image. So. Mm. I didn't get paid by how many sold. I got paid by how many could sell. And so there were three criteria. There was headroom. So was it composed such that the, that the, the person at the time in the 90s would buy it? Yep. Um, and then also, was it exposed correctly? And then lastly, um, was it... Uh, there was one other criteria, and I think it... Oh, it had to be in focus. That was it. Okay. So based on those three things, they would then determine whether it was a usable image. And then I would uh, get paid either, I'd get paid, I think, five bucks an hour. And then on top of that, for every role that was a usable role, if it was 20 frame usable, then I would get like a dollar. If it, if it was uh, 25 usable, I'd get like four bucks. But if it was, 30 usable, I'd get like eight bucks. And if it was 35 usable, I'd get like, I think 10 or 12 or maybe 15, but a lot of money. Yeah. And so if you multiply that by 45 rolls of film, if you can get up into the 30, you know, dollar, the, the 
$15 per roll, that's a lot of money. You can make some money. Yeah. So you, you really have to know money. your stuff. Like you, right. you that and trained it, you in the trenches to know your right. stuff. And, and so I got to the point where I could get 38 frames out of a 36 exposure roll. So then I had two frames that I could mess up and still get my 35 frames. And so I got to the point where I was getting 35 usable frames every single roll. So it was just a matter of money. I just wanted to make more money. And yeah. so, so that's, the carrot was put in the right place. That's right. <laughs> and so I got my I got my crap together and I made sure I was so anyway, that was my first job. But when I got out of high or college, I started uh, working at this commercial studio, and then I started learning the. Um, I learned I learned the the need for workflow because we were doing large catalog shoots with thousands of images for people like PetSmart stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I really had to learn the workflow aspect of a commercial studio. And that was right at the change of digital. So we had just gone from film to digital. So when I came in, I was kind of like, I was the kid that knew digital. And so I, I basically wrote the book on that studio's digital workflow. So and what I, were you and, using back then? Because Lightroom, I'm assuming, didn't exist back in those days. No. It, in fact, Photoshop didn't even read raw files. So if you um, shot raw, time when <laughs> yeah. So if you shot raw, you couldn't even use Photoshop. You couldn't even see them in Bridge. So there was, I mean, Bridge existed, but it didn't show you any raw files. Mm. And so what you had to do is you had to call them in a. There was a program called iView Media Pro, and you could in iView you could see the raw images, but you couldn't do anything with them. Mm. So you would go through and call your raw images inside iview media pro and then you would have to open the raw images inside of your either canon or nikon editor and so then once you got that far you would do all your adjustments and changes and change them to a tiff and then you would take them to photoshop and then you could work on them so it was a horrible workflow yikes horrible yikes brian do you remember those dark ages were you were you shooting digital back in those dark ages <laughs> no, what was your no, first I job <laughs> I started, I'm trying to think if, um, so I've been a photographer now for 10 years and I don't think Lightroom was out when I started. How, how old is Lightroom? It's 12 years exactly. 12 years. Maybe, maybe from, the beta, from the beta. From the beta. Okay. Maybe, maybe it was out then. I remember, I remember Lightroom 2 and it being a big deal when Lightroom 2 came out. Um, but yeah, I guess I've been using Lightroom, I guess I'm, the whole time. Yeah. So count your blessings because this yeah. was I when I was doing a wedding okay you, you want to talk about workflow here's the workflow when I was doing a wedding I would have to I I was working out of my home as my second job so I worked at the studio and then I would shoot weddings on the weekend and then I would come back to my house and I would work on them and I had a spare bedroom at the time I'd just been married just gotten married and so we had a spare bedroom and that was my office and I had all of my gear in there and all of my computers and stuff. And I would, so I, I had a bed in there as well. And so what I would do is I would sit down and I would have to, in iView Media Pro, I would have to collect all the images based on what their exposure and their color adjustments needed to be. And so I would call and say, okay, once I had chosen all the images I wanted to keep, I'd collect them in a folder. And then I would say, okay, this image is one stop too dark and it needs to be more 
uh, warm. So let's say one click warmer. And so then I put all images that were like unto that one in a folder. And then I would take all the images that were one stop too bright, but they also needed to be warm. I put them in a different folder. So each folder would say, this folder is one stop plus one stop and plus warm. This folder is minus one stop and warm. warm. This one is minus one stop and cold. This one is <laughs> minus one. And there would be 15 or 20 folders with all of the different adjustments. And then you would take the one folder. And at the time I was shooting Nikon. And Nikon's first digital attempts were horrible. Um, but I was a Nikon shooter and I had all these Nikon lenses. So I, I bought the Nikon camera. And so the magentas were crazy and the greens were like neon and so there's a lot of work that had to be done just to get the file under control um <laughs> so i was using the d1x i think anyway it was a horrible camera um but and by the way don't mistake this as a nikon versus canon because i love nikon and nikon i think now is the same as canon like they both have beautiful cameras mm -hmm. it's just that old ccd nikon kind of went the betamax way and like mm -hmm. they they chose the wrong the wrong type um no offense to anybody who loves betamax or whatever do you guys even know what betamax is yeah you, oh, yeah. you gotta know yeah. anyway so so i i would then i would have to open up a folder and nikon software would allow you to choose the first image and adjust it and then it would apply that same adjustment to all images in the folder and so i would adjust the one image and then let it do it to all of the images in the folder but it would take about 30 minutes to go through that folder, maybe. Oh, man. So what I would do is I would start one, and then I would go sleep for 20 minutes. <laughs> and then I'd wake up, and I'd start the next folder, and I'd sleep for 20 minutes. And then I'd wake up, and I'd start. And so I just, I literally would just sleep for 20 minutes at a time <laughs> the whole night. It was, it, was, <laughs> it was the worst workflow ever, but it was all I could do. And I wouldn't shoot a JPEG, number one, because the files were so horrible. You needed the raw image, but also I just, I've always been a stickler for um, absolute fidelity in my work. And so I won't photograph something with, I won't shoot a JPEG because it just doesn't have the same fidelity and it's, you know, all the data has gone. So, so anyway, I, uh, so that's, that was my beginnings into workflow. And when Lightroom came out, I just, I was like, whoa. Where have you been my whole yeah. life, you know? <laughs> um, of course, Bridge allowed us to see raw images and camera raw came out long before Lightroom ever had to come out. But, but uh, and that was a godsend when that came. But when Lightroom came out, it was just, it changed everything. And I started using it from the beta. So the beta came out and I saw, wow, this thing's an amazing tool. And so I immediately started using it. But it, Every time you opened the beta, it had a message that would say, do not use this professionally because we don't know if it'll destroy your images or not. Well, like it that's literally was, yeah, it was like, <laughs> we don't, we're just playing here. And so don't use this professionally. Yeah. And so what I would do is I would take every image, I would make two copies and then I'd work on the Lightroom copy so that if it did destroy my images, I had a second copy. And I would just, I, I just started using it from beta and, it changed everything about the way I worked. So. Yeah. So Brian, you'd said you started kind of around Lightroom 2. That's where you started using 
Lightroom. Mm-hmm. What? Um, so I want to ask both of you guys. So besides Lightroom, I think I think most wedding photographers use Lightroom. I think you talk to a lot of wedding photographers. There are there are exceptions. Um, but I want to ask both of you guys, what other, do you use other tools besides Lightroom? Like I know there's a lot of, uh, photographers use photo mechanic mm-hmm. to do kind of their culling. I know some others that use bridge. Um, so what do you guys outside of Lightroom, are there other, other software that you use, Brian, do you use anything else to sort of solve? Yeah, I just, cull? I use photo mechanic for culling and just for browsing once they're out of Lightroom. Okay. Uh, and then I use Lightroom for just my editing and stuff. Obviously there's Photoshop for the basic re- retouching. I don't do a lot of retouching. I'm a wedding photographer as well. I don't do a lot of retouching on things. Um, it's mostly just Lightroom work and Lightroom has evolved to a point where you can do like your spot removal. You can do all those things, local adjustments right in Lightroom. And I love that I can just keep my images there instead of pulling them out into Photoshop. Um, but no, other than that, I use like blog stomp to add logos to images and that's it for my workflow. Okay. So why do you use, uh, out of curiosity, why do you use photo mechanic? Cause I hear a lot of photographers that talk about photo mechanic and, and their main reason I think is speed, but is there anything yeah. else that, yeah, I mean, the thing with photo mechanic is it's just a photo browser. It's not like a cataloging system or anything like that. So it's super quick. But the main benefit is that when you load up a raw file into photo mechanic, it shows you the built-in preview. Whereas uh, if you bring it into Lightroom, it actually loads the full raw file. And that's why a lot of photographers, when they first load a raw file into Lightroom, they'll see it looking all like nice and contrasty and sharp and vibrant. And then after and a second or two, it kind of like jumps back and it's like it's flat, it's dull, all that if you don't have a default setting applied. Um, and that's because Lightroom is looking at the raw file, showing you the preview for a second or two, and then it loads the full thing. So if you're trying to do your culling in Lightroom, you got to do that for every single image. So not only are you bloating the system, but it's going to take more time because it's got to load that image every single time. Whereas Photo Mechanic, it's just showing you the built-in preview, doesn't try and do anything more. So I can flip through a bunch of raw files as quick as I can press the next button. So it's really quick to use. Okay. Jared, how about you? Do you do your calling inside, inside of Lightroom or do you do use something like uh, similar to Brian? Photo no, I, I, I use Lightroom exclusively. And, and the reason behind that is that I, when I, I'm shooting weddings, so I don't need to call. If I was a, a press photographer and I had to look through my images of some, you know, the, I don't know, of some press event or the, state of the union address or something like that. And I had to quickly call those and send them out to my, uh, you know, my wire service so that they could get out before the next photographer got his images out or whatever. Um, then I would be using something like photo mechanic because speed is paramount, um, in looking and selecting those image, looking at and selecting those images. But, um, when it comes to a wedding, I'm not going to look at the images tonight i'm gonna look at them tomorrow or maybe two days from now or whatever so when i get back from the wedding and i the the night of the wedding i always put my images into my hard drive so that they're being backed up um and then at the same time i tell lightroom to ingest those images and when you're importing into lightroom you can tell lightroom to do all of that building work ahead of time so what I'll do is I'll tell Lightroom, I want you to build the one-for-one previews, which is critical. And this is something, yeah. so those of you listening, the one-for-one, it's a one and then a colon and then a one. Um, the one-for-one previews, if you build those while you're sleeping, then when you wake up, then you're not waiting for it to build them every time you're looking at something. And then you can look at the entire full image. Whereas... The problem with photo mechanic is that if you try and zoom in on a photo mechanic image, you can't see the full image because 
camera didn't make a full preview. It made kind of a small preview. And so you don't have the ability to zoom in and see, is that person's eye sharp or not? I don't know, because I can't, I can't zoom into the 100% JPEG preview. Whereas in Lightroom, when I'm selecting images, because I, I'm not waiting for them, remember, because now I've got the one-for-ones built, I just had to wait for it to do that, which could take two hours to do that or three hours on a, on a wedding. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to zoom in now. And now I just hit the Z key and I go into a hundred percent view and look at it, choose whether or not it's worthy of keeping zoom out and then move on to the next set of images. Um, but the other thing that I find is that when you, if, and, and, and I'll admit that photo mechanic is generally faster, um, than, uh, Lightroom because of that, because it's only doing the bare minimum. Yep. But the problem is, is that the amount of gain that I can get from working in photo mechanic is lost in the transition from photo mechanic to Lightroom. So once you have to then employ another program in your strategy, you've just lost the 12 minutes you saved because now you're having to then pull them into Lightroom and tell Lightroom to look at them and, and you're, and you're shifting gears and you're probably grabbing coffee and you're like, so the whole, the whole advantage of the speed and efficiency of a photo mechanic just got lost in the transition to the next job. In fact, they've, they've done studies on transitions when it comes to workers. Mm-hmm. And every time you have to transition from an activity or a tool to another activity or a tool, you lose gain. And so it doesn't matter how fast you are at something, if you transition, you just lost all of the gains that you got from the other tool. And so uh, for me, Lightroom, I try and stay in Lightroom as much as humanly possible because the transitions are killers. Like, for instance, Photoshop. And, and I think that's, that's critical to stay out of Photoshop as much as possible. And I love Photoshop, and we all need Photoshop. Um, but... The truth is, you, you don't actually need Photoshop all that much, especially mm-hmm. for a wedding. For, especially when you're talking about images that where the bride is, you know, a third of the image or even less. She's, she's like way off in the background. There's yeah. no Photoshop. I don't need to retouch her face when her <laughs> face is the size of five pixels or whatever. Yeah, unless you're um, making a billboard or something. But even then, you're not going to see even it. Even right? then, you're not going to see it because of yeah. the, the, the dot pattern actually destroys the blemishes anyway. And so half the time, if I want to, if I want to retouch a file because there's a little bit of blemish, I just turn grain on and it removes the blemishes because it kind of disrupts the pattern of the skin. Yeah. And so that grain is the fastest retoucher there is. Um, but, but if you, if you only use Photoshop for the absolute necessities where you mm-hmm. like, I got to I got to do something with this person's hips or. Uh, you know, uh, there's there's a guy that photobombed and we got to get rid of him because that's my bad. I shouldn't have let the guy photobomb or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then I would go into Photoshop. But otherwise, I can do most of the skin smoothing that needs to be done in Lightroom. I can do most of the retouching. I can remove telephone poles. I can remove pop cans or whatever. All yeah. that kind of stuff can be done. And it can be done on a mass scale inside of Lightroom. And so... I start in Lightroom and I end in Lightroom. I, my portfolio is completely inside of Lightroom. 
Um, and mainly because I can use the same tools that I've been using for promoting the images. So like, for instance, I can, when I'm in Lightroom, I'll take my images once they're being imported, not only am I building one for ones, but I'm also telling it to post them onto my Lightroom mobile account. So then if I have to go like this afternoon, I'll go to my son's baseball practice. Well, as long as every time I put files into Lightroom, I tell them to be posted on Lightroom mobile, then all I need to do is take this little bag right here with me, and it's got an iPad Pro in it. Okay, yep. And all of my images that I'm working on in the entire collection of Lightroom are there. So it's slower than working on a computer because you don't have all the controls and stuff, but I can, I can look through images, I can adjust images. So when my son's in the dugout and I've got nothing to watch, I can just pull up my iPad and start working on photos and get half a job done. Yeah, while you're while and then when I get back, they're automatically on on Lightroom. All the changes, all the stars, the flags, the adjustments, everything I've done is back in Lightroom. So, like that interactivity between mobile devices and and now Lightroom anything you have in Lightroom Mobile, which I put all my portfolio stuff on Lightroom Mobile too. And it's in the same catalog um now all of that stuff is also on apple tv and so i i can go through and click through on my apple tv and look at portfolio images or or a wedding <laughs> like i can cool. yeah. i can look at anything that's on there so yeah brian are so, you using well, any of the mobile i'm just gonna i just i want to play devil's advocate just just for for fun here for yeah. a sec so if you're if you're doing that jared i'm just curious like wouldn't it make more sense like i don't know about your workflow in terms of selections and callings and stuff but mm -hmm. for me if i take three thousand images at a wedding i might actually give the client 800 of them so wouldn't it make sense to only bring those 800 into Lightroom versus the 3,000? That's a lot of bloat, especially if you're using the mobile app, the Apple TV, the syncing, all that kind of stuff. I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on that. No, because, because I'm asleep. So I'm sleeping while right. all that stuff is happening. So right. it doesn't matter to me how much bloat there is. Right. Um, because what's going to happen is the 3,000 will go into the computer. They're going to have the one-for-ones built. They're going to be put on the cloud. All of that stuff happens within eight hours of me sleeping, mm -hmm. right? That's like, so all 3000, which is nice because now I actually have a backup file in the Adobe cloud as well of all my photos. So by the time I'm done ingesting my photos, by the time I wake up in the morning, I actually have two sets of cards, three backups on hard drives, a Google Drive backup and everything in the cloud. So I, I'm pretty safe. You must have some good <laughs> bandwidth. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, Arizona. Um, <laughs> but but anyway, so so once all of those one for ones have been built and I come back into the studio, then it's just a matter of clicking through and looking at them. And I'm looking at them in the survey mode. So survey allows me to for those of you who are listening, survey is a it's a mode inside of the library module. If you hit the N key for not grid, um, <laughs> if you. The, it, it turns into the survey mode and that gives you a really beautiful view of like, say, six images at a time. Mm -hmm. And I've got a macro that's built on my Shuttle Pro 2. It's made by Contour Design. It's just a it's like a game controller, basically, for video editors. 
and I, I click the button and it just automatically throws up the next six images onto my screen and they just pop up. They just kind of go like someone threw a bunch of cards onto a table and then I just choose the one I want and pick it. And then I, if I need to, I'll zoom in to see if it's sharp. And then I hit the button again and it throws up the next six images. I choose from that and then it throws up the next six images. So it's just a constant, someone's dealing cards out to me and I'm choosing the card I want, deals the next cards, choose the one I want, deal the next set of cards, choose the one I want. So that's how you're doing your, that's how you're culling. Right. I'm culling by a dealer in Vegas, throwing out a set of cards. I'm choosing the one I want. And then he takes them away and throws out another set of cards. So it's a very quick system to use. Yeah. So you're but editing then, in as opposed to editing out. Like you're only just, it's just the picks. So if there's six right. images and you're only picking one, you're not doing anything to the others. How do you, do right. you, do you rate them with a star? Do you use flags? I just hit, I hit the P key for pick. For P for pick. And then, and then once it's picked, if I really love it, then I'll add a star. So I'll hit P and then a two or P and a one, a P and a three. And that gives me the stars. So I have picks and that means the client will get to see them and we'll keep them. And then a one, two, three, four, five star tells me how much I like it. And then when I'm done, what I do, and this is where the bloat disappears, is I sort and I take all the ones that have um, been picked and I create a new folder inside of Lightroom. And I move those into that folder. And so Lightroom actually collects all of the picked images from all the different folders, wherever they happen to be in different card folders. And it puts them in one folder called picks, or I call them selects. And then the rest of them, I just highlight them and right click and remove them. And they're gone from Lightroom. They're still on oh, the hard drive. Oh, you remove them from Lightroom then. But then they're just gone. I don't need right. them because I haven't picked them. Okay. So that answers so, the, my question then about right. having all those images on Lightroom Mobile and stuff then. Right. So, and, and once they're removed from Lightroom, they literally just disappear from Lightroom Mobile as well. Yep. So, like, if I were to open up my iPad, I would just see that number just go down right, to almost, yeah. you know, yeah. to 400 images or something. And so, what that does is I have a little bit of bloat in Lightroom for, you know, a day, 24 right. hours. <clears throat> and, then, and then the bloat's gone. And now I'm down to the normal number but I haven't had to do any kind of a transition from one program to another. And so then I just start immediately working on the images. Yep. Um, but, it, but, but the critical thing to that kind of workflow is the one-for-one -one previews. If you don't right. build the one-for-one -one previews, then Lightroom is dog slow when it comes to looking yep. at images because as you suggested, Brian, that it's looking at the original raw images. And so it has to build those one for ones in order for you to even look at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And those um, raw images, they're getting bigger and bigger all the time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's a tip. Here's a tip for everybody. Let's say, uh, Brian, what do you shoot with? Uh, I've got the Nikon D4S and a Fuji X pro two. Is the D4, what, how big is the D4S file? Is it, is it 24 uh, megapixels? I think 24. Oh, 18. so it's a normal, yeah, it's yeah. a normal <laughs> large file. Now what the Fuji, the Fuji's, uh, I think that's small, megapixels. right? I think the Fuji X Pro 2 is for 24 meg megapixels. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I'm shooting with 21, which is the, the uh, Canon 5D uh, Mark III. Yep. But like the 5D Mark IV now is, um, what, 30 megapixels. And if you shoot with the 1DS or SR, it's 50 megapixels. So those are huge. So if you're shooting with something that's got a big file like that, um, if you build the one-for-one -one previews and you build what's called the smart preview, mm. 
Then if you unplug the drive that actually has the photos on it so that your computer can't see the photos, Lightroom moves lightning fast because now it no longer can look at the raw files. Yep. It can't. So it only looks at the files that are inside of the Lightroom catalog, which it does really fast. And so if you really want to be fast, you, what you do is you plug in a drive, you put your photos on that drive, you ingest them into Lightroom, you build the one-for-ones and the smart previews so you can actually work on the files. And then you unplug the drive. You, you eject it and unplug it. So now Lightroom says in Lightroom, the folder has a question mark on it because it can't find it. But because it has the one-for-one previews and it has the smart previews, it can still work on the files, but they're not there. Mm-hmm. And so now it's no, it, it just goes, oh, well, I don't even need to look for those anymore because the, the, the hard drive is unplugged. So I'll just work on what I have. And then it goes super fast, even though you have these 50 megapixel files, it's only working on the little things that it has. Right, right. And so it, that's the way to speed up a workflow for people who are using those 40 and 50 megapixel files um, that are just, just insane to work on, because then you don't have to look at the entire file. And then as soon as you want to export the files to your services or to print or whatever, you just plug the drive back in, and right. then all the work that you've done is accessible to those original files yeah so it sounds like jared you do kind of uh, you just have one kind of master catalog you don't do a separate catalog for each for each job is that correct right so the i i, I look at uh, lightroom as a train station so it's a, my master catalog is a train station where all of these jobs come in mm-hmm. and they load up their passengers and they unload their passengers and we work on the trains and then when the train is done it leaves and it leaves as its own catalog. Okay. So okay. when I'm finished with it, I just right click the file and say, save this as its own catalog. And I save it within the same job folder. And then I just, I'm done with the file. So I right click it and remove that folder. And then it just disappears from Lightroom altogether. And now it's the folder, the job folder now has a catalog inside it that only has the images from that job in it. And then that goes off to an archive drive. And now I've, again, removed that bloat. Because you, you, you have to, anytime you have a catalog system as opposed to a file browser, and, and Brian talked about that concept. He said that, you know, because Photo Mechanic is just a photo browser, it's much faster. Same with Bridge. Bridge is a photo yep. browser. And so those photo browsers are faster because they're not looking at anything except for what you're looking at right now. Right. Whereas Lightroom, has so many more capabilities because it can sort through, you know, photos that are all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so, so the idea of, of uh, keeping every photo that you've ever shot in Lightroom is a really bad idea. So what I do is I keep every photo that I'm working on, and then I have a portfolio that has uh, the images that are use, useful inside of that. So literally, it's another folder inside of my working catalog that just has the best images of the best. So those stay in there kind of all the time. Right. And, and it's just the reason they're there is because it's connected to Lightroom mobile as well. Okay. So I have, uh, so I have, I have a portfolio drive that has like 60,000 photos in it, but I only take the very best images and import them into Lightroom where I'm working in my working catalog so that so I've got like a smattering of my absolute best images that I'm always using. So if I want to post a random image really quickly, 
only the best work that I have is inside of that portfolio. So, you know, the four and five star images or whatever. Right. So they're the hobos that linger in the lobby that didn't have the ticket to get on the train to leave. Correct. Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> Except they're good smelling, Except beautiful. Good smelling, yeah. Clean right. hobos. Yeah. Well-dressed. But, but it's not like I have, you know, a picture of every flower at every wedding I've ever taken in my portfolio folder in my working uh, catalog. Right. That would just be a waste of, of space. Yeah. Um, but remember that my... My portfolio drive is a is a separate drive that's just on its own, and I just I just I can point to anything on that drive and put it in, and it's just referencing. It doesn't move it, doesn't put it in another. It's just referencing this drive that's sitting over you know somewhere else, and it's it's saying there are these photos in the portfolio drive that I want to constantly be aware of. Yeah. So and that's the beauty of a catalog system as opposed to a file browser, yep. but there's that speed issue. So you, you kind of have to play a balancing act between yeah. how much speed do I need and how much access do I need? Right. Because hey, the two are kind of mutually exclusive. Just yeah. another, just, uh, just to play another side of it, just again, to share uh, insight into what I do on that. Cause it is a little bit different uh, than Jared, just for the listener that wants a different perspective. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do a same day slideshow at every wedding. Um, so for that, almost for that reason alone, ingesting through Lightroom wouldn't make sense because I don't have the time to sit at the wedding reception to wait for those one-to-ones to load up. So I use Photo Mechanic to import and do culling and stuff for the same day slideshow for that reason. So that's also just another sort of added bonus to that. Now, Brian, I think you said last time that you shoot a RAW plus a JPEG, yes, right? Yes, yep. Okay, so you use those JPEGs. I don't actually know. I well. Oh, you bring in the raw images. I do. Yeah, I, I do. I only okay. use the raws when I need them. Um, but I have Lightroom bring them in, and then it treats the JPEGs and raws side by side. Gotcha. Yep. So, so when when you're selecting your images at the wedding, yep. Do you do you ingest the raw images into the computer and yes. then find them? Yep. And you find them in Photo Mechanic. Yeah. Yeah, because it's that's, lightning fast. So, right. So that's when that's when a program like Fo Photo Mechanic exactly. comes in handy because you're trying to make selections really, really exactly. fast. Exactly. Yeah. Um, however, one thing that I do, because I don't use Photo Mechanic at all, um, I've played with it to just kind of get the sense of how fast it can do things. But I've pretty much owned every software that ever exists because I always <laughs> buy it and then I play with it so that I can talk intelligently about it. Right. But, um, but I don't use it. And when I'm at a wedding, I have my assistant pulling in. I assume you do the same thing, have your assistant ingesting those cards. Um, so my assistant ingests the cards. If I know I'm doing a same day slideshow, what I'll do is the first card will shoot the full raw yep. and the second card will shoot a small raw. Yep. Um, and so the small raw becomes the ingested image because I can get them in faster. Yep. So I, and in fact, I can get them in faster than I can a JPEG. Right. Because the small RAWs are really quite small. Mm. Um, so then I'll, I'll import the small RAWs. But what I'll do is um, inside of your camera, there's the option to, to rate them. And so if I shoot a picture that I really love, I'll just rate it right there on the camera. So mm. there's, there's a star on the image already. Yeah. Um, and then when my assistant gets it, all he has to do is sort by stars, and I've already done the culling. <laughs> oh, so you cull it in camera as you're, as you're kind of shooting. Right. I'm not deleting, mind you. All I'm doing is just 
if if I'm it's shooting and I'm like, this is an awesome scene or this is a great photo and I look down, I'll just click the, it's just a little button on the left hand side and it just has a star on it. Yep. So I just click it and it adds a star. If I hit it like three times, it adds three stars. And then I just keep moving on. So So my assistant knows where to look based on sorting for those stars. And if he looks at it and he's like, eh, this doesn't look quite great because her smile's off or whatever. Because I'm not like hunting through it. I just be like, okay, that's a great one. Star. And then just keep moving. Yep. And I'm mostly looking at the light and, you know, the way the dress is yeah. flowing and stuff like that. I'm not paying attention to their eyes. Right. And that, I'm just shooting a whole bunch and hoping that at one point I'm getting the perfect, you know, combination of eyes and smiles and whatever. And, uh, and so my assistant then will look at him and go, okay, there's a star here, but that's not the greatest image. But if I sort around it, there's that one's better. Yep. So the assistant's not actually looking through the photos all that much. They're, they're looking for stars that I've added. And they're also kind of browsing the, the grid, just looking around for whatever. Um, one, one option inside of Lightroom to keep it from trying to rebuild things is there's an option in the import dialog box that just says um, you have three different options. You have the one-for-one -one previews, and then you have minimal previews, and then you also have the embedded and sidecar. Mm -hmm. And if you just do the embedded and sidecar, it just takes whatever's there and uses that until you zoom in. Once you zoom in, then it starts trying to build things. Yeah. And so that helps from if you just look at it in the grid and you don't do anything but look at it in the grid, it will then look at that. But if you try and size the grid up or if you try and put it into uh, the, the loop mode or the survey mode or anything like that, then it starts trying to build those previews because it wants to make better ones for you. Mm. Um, yeah. so, so that's how I do the same thing. Um, but I'm starring them so that my assistant doesn't even have the options to make his own decisions. Yeah, <laughs> cool. This episode of Twip Weddings is brought to you by FreshBooks. FreshBooks' all-new version of their cloud accounting software has been redesigned from the ground up and custom-built to transform how freelancers and small business owners deal with their day-to-day -day paperwork. I think we can probably all agree as wedding photographers that you know accounting is one of the one of our least favorite activities. But uh, FreshBooks has created a super intuitive tool that makes it really easy to create and send professional-looking invoices in less than thirty seconds. Uh, there's no formatting. There's no formulas to worry about. Just really simple, clean and professional looking. Um, you can add your own logo, color scheme so that your invoices reflect your brand. And when you send out an invoice, FreshBooks can show you if your client has seen it. So no more excuses that the client never got the invoice. Um, you can set up online payment uh, with just a few clicks and get paid up to four days faster. They've got a handy deposit feature, so it allows you to invoice for a payment upfront when you're kicking off a project. So if you're booking a shoot or booking a wedding and you want to take a retainer from a client, super easy. Uh, your clients are going to appreciate being able to pay by credit card right, uh, right off the invoice. So it makes it nice and easy on clients. We've talked about customer experience. That's a great customer experience to deliver to your customers. Uh, FreshBooks also, uh, they've revealed uh, some other features to help keep you organized and streamline your, you know, the business side of things as a freelancer, a small business owner. Uh, they've got a redesigned dashboard in the new version. So it's designed to sort of curate and answer the most important question. How is my business doing? Just know at a glance, you know, what do you owe, what's overdue, uh, and whether you're in the red or in the black. Uh, the notification center works as your personal assistant. So it tells you kind of what's changed in your business since your last login and what should be dealt with, like overdue invoices. Uh, FreshBook 
also automates late payment email reminders so you can spend less time chasing clients down for money, which is always great. Uh, you can also take pictures of receipts on your phone using the FreshBooks iOS app. Uh, FreshBooks will also handle your time tracking. So when it comes time to create an invoice, you'll know what you did when you did it. So get ready uh, to experience the simplest way to be more productive and get organized. Most importantly, get paid quickly. So FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to our listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com weddings and enter weddings in the how did you hear about us section. Start your free 30-day trial today. We thank FreshBooks for their support of TWIP Weddings. Brian, do you do one? Are you kind of like a catalog per shoot kind of guy or do you, how do you? Yeah, yeah, I, I manage it a catalog per shoot. Um, so basically, as soon as like I, I've got the Lightroom catalog that lives right beside the RAWs, that lives right beside the JPEGs once I export them. And then in the JPEG folders, all the different versions, if I need web-sized or full res or anything like that. So yeah, I, I've got that living all right beside it. Yeah, and then do you have a like kind of a master catalog or a portfolio catalog as well where you keep your uh, best yeah. stuff? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I I usually will then like when I'm working on a wedding, if there's something that I want in my portfolio, I'll yeah. export the raw version of it over to another hard drive, another folder. Yeah. Um and then in there I'll have everything, like all the raws with the XMP files and everything um for my portfolio and then those okay. will go into the Lightroom catalog for the portfolio. Cool. Yeah, right. so everybody does and, it a bit and, different. Yeah. And I, no, and that's I have a portfolio catalog that has all 60,000. So that's that's same way that I do yep. it as I, I export anything that I want and I either export it as a DNG or a TIFF. Like if it's already a TIFF, it goes over as a TIFF. Right. And if it's a DNG, it goes as a DNG. And so I, I'm exporting a second copy to that drive. And then that catalog is constantly looking at that drive. Yep. And so you can open up your portfolio catalog and then you can sort through the you know, massive library that you've created. Um, I just happen to also keep a small sliver of the portfolio inside of my working catalog so that I have constant access to the images that I really, really, really want to use. And, and, and part of that is because I travel so much. Um, I need access to those images quite often at a lecture or uh, to create, you know, a new you know, website or something. I, I need access to those images. And so by having them as a sliver inside of my working catalog, I have that with me at all times. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's partially why I do it. But the other reason that I do one catalog is that catalogs are like uh, dogs. They learn. And so, so you teach the catalog and you constantly teaching it and it learns how you like to keyword and it learns you know, all of your connection points to like your Facebook publishing and your, uh, the places you like to publish for building wedding books for, you know, with smart albums or, you know, things like that, where you're, where you're doing things that you have to set it up inside of Lightroom and tell Lightroom, this is my password for this. And this is the thing for that. And all that kind of stuff gets learned inside of that catalog. And some of the things transfer like system wide based on like say presets as long as you tell the presets in the preferences to store in the system rather than in the catalog um per, uh, your presets just kind of live system wide it doesn't matter what catalog you open but some things like whether or not you're connected to facebook has to happen before or like 
in that catalog and then the next catalog won't actually have that connection made. Right, so you have to and retrain so, it each time. You right, do you have to just keep catalog. training it. And so yeah. you want to keep your dog until the dog dies basically because you've, you've worked so hard to train it and to tell it to go to the bathroom in the right place and to, to fetch your slippers or whatever. And you don't want to you don't want to just get rid of that dog because you're you want to have like you you want to go on a different walk <laughs> and so you get a different dog but then you have to train the dog before you can go on the walk and so I I, I like to keep that dog trained and so my catalog I've been using the same catalog since I think ten years. I've used the same catalog for 10 years Holy cow. because I've just constantly kept that philosophy of, you know, one catalog and it just keeps getting updated every single time I get a new version of Lightroom. It just mm. updates that catalog. And then of course the, the little catalogs go out. So I, I then export those individual catalogs so that later on, if my client calls and says, Hey, I need this album built or whatever. I can then go back to that catalog and open up just the one catalog and all that's there is that wedding. Yeah. Nice. And then it's all nice and tidy and, you know, neat. But nice. cool. my working catalog is kind of my, my dog. Yeah. I've trained it. So I want to ask both of you guys, um, from start to finish, how long, what's your average uh, to call and, and edit a wedding? And then I want to get into talking about the editing because we haven't really got, gone down that path yet. I want to talk about editing. But start to finish really quick. How long does it typically, typically take you, Brian? Start to finish. Uh, Typical average wedding. Again, I'm, every wedding's going to be a little different. Are we going to say like 3,000 images yeah. is average? 3,500 images is an average. Yeah. What does it take you? I'm max hour and a half. To call to, and edit? To call and edit, yeah. To call and edit. Yeah. Jared? Um, I would say that it takes me about 45 minutes to call. And then it takes me about 20 minutes to do the initial uh, um, adjustments on my picks. Uh, 20 to, depends. I, if I'm, if I, usually I'm delivering about 500 images, maybe 300 images, something like that. Um, so 20, 30 minutes to do the initial adjustments. Um, and then it takes me another 15 or so minutes to to apply all those adjustments across all of the other images, kind of just steal the adjustments that I've made on my favorite images and throw them across. So uh, two hours to do all of that kind of culling and adjusting. But then there's all sorts of other stuff that go into weddings, like building an album or yeah, of course, or yeah, I didn't posting to whatever. Yeah. And it, it, yeah, I'm talking just the Lightroom, yeah. just the just the call and the edit. I know yeah, there's all so, the other stuff that goes around it, but so the call right. and edit. So you're both around the two hour give or take yeah to kind of call and edit so how do you what's your what's your guys' secret because i th i think the editing part is probably where like because i've i've struggled with this too is i've got my calling down now pretty good i can call in a wedding in about an hour and a half i'm not quite as fast as you guys i'm learning i'm getting there um but i find it's the editing part where i tend to get bogged down a little bit what what are some of your guys's tips and strategies for the editing process so you don't get cold obviously it starts with capturing it right i think in camera that's always kind of the step one right is get it get it right in camera so you're not having to do that much in the way of editing but brian pass it to you first and then to yep. jared what are some tips that you can give for kind of not getting bogged down in that editing because i see some photographers that just get lost like you know they're spending two three oh, minutes yeah, in image 
It's brutal. It's brutal. I think I think photographers spend way too much time. And we talked about this last time. And Bruce, we've talked about it many times in the podcast. Like your time is money. And if you're spending more than a couple hours per wedding on editing, you're you're if you do do the math, you're probably not really all that profitable unless you're charging a ridiculous amount of money for your for your weddings, uh, which we hope you, you know our listeners are. Um, yeah. So for me, for a couple things, number one, being a better photographer is always number one. Like I I spend all my time, energy, attention on like trying to be the best photographer I can and getting it right in camera. Um, I never say like I'll fix that later. I always get my exposure. I use Calvin White Balance in camera, always manual exposure. So. I get as much of it as I can right in camera, whether it be lighting, whether it be contrast, composition, density, anything. I try and get that right in the camera. I also use presets in the camera too, so I can see it as if I'm going to be editing things afterwards. And then shooting raw JPEG helps with that as well. Um, so getting it right in the camera is the first thing. Um, not overshooting, I think, is another thing. I know that's like a, a bit of a difference of opinion too, because Jared, I think last time we talked about how you shoot a lot more than you actually need. Um, for me, I've just found a good workflow. It's like once I know I get the shot and I've sort of confirmed it's there, I don't keep shooting into it um, unless I need to, unless it's candid or something like that. Um, so shooting less obviously helps as well. Um, for me, my style of photography is just very natural and uh, it's very more of a classic style of photography. So I don't need to do a lot of editing on things because I want it to look like it's not really been touched that much. Um, so that helps just because that's my philosophy on, on how I want my images to look. And then I use uh, default settings for raw files in Lightroom. So it automatically applies a nice density, contrast, saturation, vignette, things like that to every image. And then outside of that, similar to what Jared said, where I'll edit one in a series, but then I'll just select all the other ones in that series and sync up the settings and it'll apply all those over to the other ones. So I really only have to edit you know, let's say a hundred images from a wedding and then it auto applies the, those edits to all the other images with a similar light, similar you sound know, kind of thing. What, what Brian's saying right now is probably the most critical thing to understand yeah. about adjusting images is that you should only be editing or adjusting one image in a, in 30 yep. in your wedding because because they will all be similar. Mm -hmm. And so you, you should be adjusting one. And then that adjustment should be applying to the five images surrounding it or the 10 images surrounding it. And sometimes like I, I do a thing in my lectures where I, I actually go in and I highlight an entire wedding, the whole wedding. <laughs> and then I do a series of adjustments with the auto sync on. Yep. And then I look across the whole wedding and almost all the images are almost all done. And, and we're talking interior, exterior, portraits, candids, everything. They're almost all done because they all just needed the same, you know, general thing done to them. Right. So, so, so that the, would be similar to like using a default setting on import, right? So, so the images well, get that. But that's something people can't see in a lecture. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. And yeah. so, so yeah. in a lecture, you just have to explain it. People need to understand that images are pretty much all the same. If you are, as Brian said, choosing your white balance and choosing your exposure, then all images are actually equal to each other by virtue of them being captured. Yep. They all start at zero. Yep. They all start at that specific zero point. And so if you generally 
and and everybody has a shooting style. Everybody shoots a little dark. Everybody shoots a little warm. Everybody shoots like everybody has a certain thing, and they follow that. And so, like Brian, are your images typically slightly dark, or are they slightly light? Um, slightly dark, I guess I would okay, say. Yeah, so not, not... so Brian is protecting highlights. Yep. So Brian's protecting highlights, and so he has slightly darker images. Same with me. So. Brian's default setting or his, the thing that gets applied on import is brighten these images up a little, add a little contrast, throw a vignette on it, you know, maybe take the saturation down five or whatever. Like all those things are equal to every image Brian shoots, yep. every single one of them. Yep. And so the, the default does 90% of the work and then... Then it's just a matter of tweaking, you know, this one, I underexposed it a little bit too much. This one, I overexposed it a little too much. This one, you know, I was just, I went like this because I thought something was happening over there or whatever. And so there's, then all, it's just the outliers that you have to take care of. Or maybe it's an outlying group. You know, maybe you ran into a situation where the flash stopped working or your assistant had the flash in the wrong place. And so you're like, okay, I'm just going to have to wing this and I'm going to have to get an ambient exposure that's way too contrasty. So I'm going to really protect the highlights so I can get that sky and then I'm just going to have to bring up the shadows later. And so you, you shoot it and it's a group of five images. Well, then you just highlight those images and, you know, bring up the shadows and then all five of those are done. So, like, you should never be working on one image at a time. And most people find themselves, they work on one image and then they go to the next image and then they apply previous. And then they go to the next image and they apply previous. <laughs> and then they go to the next image and they apply. And they never learn, oh, I should have just thought of that and looked at the, the set of images and then adjusted them all together as opposed <laughs> to adjusting them one at a time or applying the previous over and over and over again. Like they just don't think about those right. kind of things. Yeah, yeah, totally. For sure. so. Yeah. So, so what, uh, just a real quick thing, cause I want to, um, we're getting close to about an hour, so we want to not drag it on too long, but, um, what are some of from both of you guys, you teach and you work with other photographers. So what are some of the, those that are getting stuck in that, uh, that mode where they're editing e- each image? What, what, why are you seeing that happening? Is it because they're just all, all over the map in terms of their shooting or do you think I, there's I think more? that's a big reason, like personally. And again, like I think Jared would know more, like I, I teach a lot of business. I think that this has to do with workflow and productivity. So I certainly talk to this topic, but I'm not in there beside the photographer in Lightroom as often probably as Jared is. But I think, I think just from what I've seen and how photographers shoot, like oftentimes I'll be out there shooting, I'll be teaching a workshop and, uh, and, and I'll show images in the back of my camera and photographers are like, how are you getting these images in your camera that way? And I'm like, I'm just getting the right exposure and choosing the right white balance and choosing the right lens and compression and, and lighting and composite, like everything. I'm, I'm thinking about these things as I'm shooting. And I think a lot of photographers struggle with that. Like they're, they're, they just think that they need to make snapshots in the camera and then make them look good through Lightroom and I think, or through retouching or Photoshop or whatever. And I think that is more often the issue. And obviously I'd love to hear Jerry's input on that, but I think that it's just photographers, they don't focus as much on honing their craft as much as they do on trying to make up for the lack of honing their craft in the computer. Hmm. I, I think, I think that's true, but I, I would go a step further and say most photographers aren't thinking. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good point. Period. They're yeah. just, they're reacting is what they're doing. And yep. so, and, and okay, here's, here's the picture that you need in your mind. 
someone is drafted into the army and they go to battle and there are bullets whizzing around their head. That's what's happening inside of, uh, think about that person. Like I can't even imagine being in that condition where things that I'm afraid of are flipping around my head. I don't know what I'm doing. I've just been told to jump in here and do this thing. And I've been given a, a tool, a gun that I don't really know how to use all that well. And I'm supposed to go and, and do my job in the midst of all this chaos and fear. And, and I, I mean, I would just shut down. So, so think about the photographer. The photographer is probably not trained in photography. They probably had a, a salon business or they were a mom or they were a school teacher or something. And they, they, they get a camera and they haven't really been trained on it and they've only practiced it a little bit. Maybe a, they haven't done their 10,000 hours for sure. Yeah. They've only done like five hours on this thing. And then they're, they're going, they don't understand it. They don't understand white balance to begin with. They don't understand their exposure. And so they're, they're nervous when they go into battle. You know, they go into this wedding and then they're all, all this stuff's happening around them and they're afraid I'm going to miss it and this is going to happen and that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether or not I've got the right exposure. And so at that point, they just, their brain stops thinking and they just go into reactive mode. And they're like, well, I know how to compose. <laughs> So I'm just going to point at things and I'm going to take pictures and hope that when I get back to the studio or back home and I put these in the, the, the computer, that somehow magically those images will be say salvageable. Mm -hmm. And then, and then when they get to their computer, they are in salvage mode. And so they're still in this, I don't understand Lightroom all that well. And I don't really understand the concepts that are going behind these exposure changes and all that kind of stuff. And so now I'm just going to go image by image and react to that image. And I'm so concerned about whether or not this is all going to turn out. And I'm so not comfortable in this environment that rather than look at five images at a time and say, oh, there's a similarity in them. They just look at the one thing in front of them and do it. And then they go to the next one and they're like, okay, uh, okay, I think I can do this one too. And then they work on that one and then they move to the next one. Because they're not ever stepping back, slowing down, and thinking. Because if a photographer was at a wedding, and they started feeling nervous, and they were like, things aren't working, and instead of just shutting the flash off and shooting without it, have you seen that, Brian? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, you're, like, you're at a workshop, yeah. and you're trying to teach someone how to do flash or whatever, and then... And then they're shooting and then the flash stops working and they're just like, ah, I can't stand it. And they yeah. just shut it off and then they start shooting ambient. And then the photos suck right? because there's too much light or there's not, there's the raccoon eyes or whatever. And, and, and people just, they shut down and they, instead of just stop, relax, mm -hmm. take a step back mm -hmm. and say, what's going on here and find the missing link or look at the commonalities in the photographs and solve the problem. We're, we are problem solvers. That's mm -hmm. photography is a problem solving skill. It's you have lighting issues, solve the problem. Yep. You have equipment issues, solve the problem. You have, you have people issues, solve the problem. <laughs> right. It's just, it's just problem solution, problem solution. And if you just step back, calm down, I <laughs> calm the crap 
down. <laughs> you know? I, I think that's the thing, though, is I think that I think photographers often, like, I, yeah, so not thinking, yes. I think just in general, they're, they're not like, um, they're not critical. Like, they don't actually, they don't force themselves into a process and they just, you're right, like, they end up being in reaction mode all the time and, and that doesn't get them anywhere. They just freak out. And I think, especially, I mean, we're talking about this, this week in photo weddings. Like, weddings are probably one of the most stressful things you can photograph because of the nature of a wedding day. Things are happening so quick that if you don't have that skill set and that experience and the ability to just slow down and think about things, you are destined for, I don't mean dramatic, but you're destined to, to for failure in that because... Whether that means you're going to spend way too much time editing, whether that means you're going to miss the moment, whether that means you're going to screw something up, or you're not going to be thinking properly about it. Like you've got to slow down and think and be critical about what you're doing at every point of the day. Uh, whether that be how you're relating to people, how you're solving problems with lighting, how you're grouping, how you're posing, how you're editing, how you're doing all these things, you just got to think about it and not just fly by the seat of your pants. Well, and, and Brian, you said that you got to be methodical, and and that's the thing is that there's there's two ways to do anything. Yeah. And and you can either do it on purpose mm. or you can do it on accident. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and I have I I have I am a big proponent of the fact that you never do anything. Yep. On accident. Really. 100% agree. You, what yep. what you do is you do it on purpose. Yep. And and quite frankly, if you lose a file, you lost that file on purpose. Mm -hmm. Yep. Because you purposefully did not back it up. Yep. Yep. And if and if you accidentally underexpose something or you accidentally miss the shot, that wasn't an accident. It was that you you purposefully did not move <laughs> into position. Right. Like you so you can never say, Oh, it was an accident. Like I, I have a friend who's he has like a five year old kid and, and the kid pushes people and hits people or whatever and he goes, It was a it was an accident. And you're like, no, that wasn't an accident. That was on purpose. No, it was an accident. It was an accident. And you're like, no, it was on purpose. And so you, I, think, I think people just go through, photographers that have trouble don't purposefully do something. They just, they're not, they're not thinking ahead and moving through the process and saying, I want to create a great exposure. So what should I do? Yeah. I should look at the histogram on my camera. In fact, I have a whole series on uh, online on getting the exposure right in the histogram. Mm. And we go through uh, a whole series of different opportunities to fail. So we do something in the studio where we can control the light. And then we do something outside um, where we have to do it completely ambiently because we have no lights with us. And then we add a light on location. And then we do it where the the exposure is so wide that we literally have to do an HDR portrait. Mm. And, and like, but the whole time we talk about that histogram and how critical it is to understand the histogram so that you can control the lights falling within your camera's range of latitude. And so people can get that by going to uh, jaredplatt.com forward slash perfect dash portrait or perfect dash exposure. So anyway, we'll, it's there. We'll link to that in the show notes. Yeah, um, but it, it's the the critical thing is to purposefully expose. Yeah, purposefully compose, purposefully adjust your images, purposefully white balance your images. Perf if if you think 
and you do it on purpose, mm -hmm. you're going to be worlds ahead of everybody else because most of the world runs around thinking things just happened to me by accident. Right. Like, you know, like people, people get arrested for drunk driving and they're like, you never know when you're going to get picked up for DUI. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah. When, if you drink and drive, <laughs> yeah. you're going to get picked up for DUI. Just right. think that way and you'll never get picked up for DUI. I will never get picked up for a DUI, I promise, because I don't drink and I don't drive drunk. Right. So I'm not going to get picked up. It's not on accident when yeah. things happen to you. Well, and so, and so, I, think, I think it's like, this is something, Robert and Bruce, you guys kind of bug me sometimes because oftentimes my answer to things is to be intentional. And I say intentional all the times. And this is like about marketing, about customer experience, about like anything you do. And this is now true in shooting and editing yeah. and everything you do. You, and, you know, purposeful is the ex just another, another word for intentional. But like everything you do in your business, I think that's a great way to wrap up the whole topic is like everything mm -hmm. you do must be intentional, whether that be the way that you start your business, the way that you want to grow your business, the, a, a marketing opportunity, a networking, shooting, editing, everything you do must be intentional. And we need to stop flying by the seat of our pants and start thinking about the reason why we're doing things in our business. Yeah, Absolutely. that's a really good. Yeah, I, I like that. And I think any photographers that are kind of struggling and if, you know, the ones that are spending 20, 30, 40 hours editing a wedding, you know, you have to really take a step back and, and look at it and ask yourself, like, where am I? Where am I getting bogged down? What yeah. is it that's is it because my exposures are all over the map that I'm having to go image by image that I can't do the things like Jared and, and Brian suggested where you you edit one image and then you can apply those across 10 or 20 or 30 images. If you if you have to stop and edit every single image because every single image is is wildly different you need to really step back and no mm -hmm. it's not your editing it's your shooting so yep. so that's a great you know a great tip i think for yeah photographers and who are struggling the, and in the, the end it's that in, it's that intentional issue yeah if you if you're having trouble with your exposures all over the map in post so that you can't do an efficient job in post it's because you weren't intentionally shooting yep so it's all, it always comes down to, I didn't intentionally choose my exposure. It chose itself. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like allowing the fates to control your life. I will never allow fate to control my life. Yeah. I'm going to choose. Love it. Yep. Excellent. All right. Well, we're running a little bit. We're running a little bit long. We usually try to keep these to about an hour, so we're running a little bit long. So we're gonna. I'm gonna actually skip over the question of the listener question this week. We'll 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 uh, we'll cover that on a future show. But I do want to get to the next uh, week. Can I give the answer though? I was, I was gonna sure. say, I'll, I'll give a quick answer too. <laughs> okay, the answer. The answer to the question is seven. Yeah, seven. Okay. <laughs> so so stay tuned for a future episode, and you'll find stay out. Stay tuned for is. more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. So uh, let's move on. Then we're going to do our picks of the week before we wrap up because I think we've got some great picks in here this week and uh, can definitely help. I think uh, when it comes to workflow and, and editing stuff, I think we got some good picks. So um, Jared, what have you got for us this week? You've got an interesting pick, and I just heard about this recently as well. So. So so this is a proofing option, and, and it's not going to. It's not going to change the way you do, like if you use SmugMug or if you use, uh, you know, Pass or something like that to deliver your images. It's not going to change that. But this is a Lightroom plugin. It's a published service called Evla, E-V-L-A-A. -A. And it's just a, it's, it's a cool little plugin. It's evla.com, E-V-L-A-A.com. -L -L -E and 
It's a Lightroom publish service that allows you to quickly publish um, your images to a server where you're a client, say you have a portrait that came in or it's a corporate portrait or something, they can go online to the link and they can star the images and look at the images and comment on the images and those will come back to you inside of Lightroom. Mm. Now, Lightroom Mobile does this too, but unfortunately Lightroom Mobile doesn't allow anything but a heart. Mm. So like you, the Lightroom Mobile allows it, you can heart it. And, right. then, and then what happens is when you look at your Lightroom published service or your, your mobile uh, collection, you can see that there's a little note on the image, but it doesn't show you the heart and it doesn't show you a star or anything to represent that heart. And so I think Lightroom Mobile has a ways to go on the way they're interacting. But the Evlaw plugin allows them to star things. And so they could five star the image and make a comment. And when it comes back in, the comments that the client makes will be over in the comment section on the in the library module at the bottom of the right hand panel. And you can also right click that publish service and import their star ratings as whatever you want. So you can say, you can tell it when, when I import those star ratings, everything that they've starred, change it to red. Okay, cool. So then you can have your own star rating. And then after they're done with their star ratings online, you can just suck them in and say anything that hits a five star, I want a red and it'll just change it all to red that, so then you'll be able to say, okay, these five images are the ones they want me to retouch. Mm. Those are the ones I'm going to deliver. So okay. it's just a really cool, simple little, and it's really inexpensive. It's just a cool plugin. So check it out, evlaw.com, E-V-L-A-A.com. And I think they're French. And so I may be completely mispronouncing Evla. It might be Evla. <laughs> I don't know. I, I have no idea. How to it. I don't say. I don't see any accente. You know, agu yeah, or accente see. grabs or anything. So, <laughs> but the logo has a very colorful E on it. So it I, does. I don't know if that's like a a new way to put an accent on. Maybe yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So Evla or Evla. Evla. Maybe Evla. it's Evla. 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 Anyway. Excellent. Very cool. We'll we'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can check it out. Brian, what have you got for us this week? What's your pick of the week? Yeah, my pick of the week is a tool uh, called LR Transporter. Um, So it's by uh, Photographer's Toolbox. If you go photographers-toolbox.com, they got a whole bunch of cool little goodies and like add-ons and plugins and stuff for Lightroom. Um, But Lightroom or LR slash Transporter is the one that I use uh, all the time. And basically what it lets me do is I can, and again, because my workflow is different than Jared, like I I export to JPEG and then I might... um, in JPEG, in Photo Mechanic, I'll tag the images for the album there and then drag those right into InDesign to start working on the album. I'll do the back and forth with the client. Once I'm done building the album in InDesign, you can do something that's called package, which basically says take all the JPEGs that are in this album design and and copy them into this new folder. So then I know exactly what images I now have to retouch for the album. So what I can do is I import all those JPEGs into Lightroom and then using LR Transporter, I can make a text file of all those JPEGs. And then I can say exclude the extension 
and then now go and mark all the raw files with those same file names. So then I can quickly and very easily get all of my raw files of the images that are in the album marked and tagged, and that way I know where I retouch. And so I start with the raw file for the retouching. Mm, so it's a quick okay. way to like, if you have a whole bunch of JPEGs and you're like, oh, I need to get the raws of these, but all I know is what the JPEGs are, you can export and then import and tag those raws with the same file name and exclude the extension. So it's a really great tool just for like quickly doing things like that. I've done that for years and it's just a really quick and easy workflow instead of going and trying to find the raws or retouch the JPEGs if I want to make any adjustments on the raw files for the album. Very cool. And and photographer's toolbox is a great... (laughs) Like that's just a yeah. treasure. Oh, there's trope a there's a ton of, of amazing things over there. Yeah, yeah, the, those guys are great. Yep, great at creating good tools. Yep, very cool. So LR Transporter again, we'll link to that, but it's at photographers-toolbox.com is where you'll find that. Very good. That's a very cool pick. I like both of those picks. I'm going to have to check both those things out. So so my pick this week uh, is not necessarily exactly Lightroom related, but um, it's a a little program that I run. uh, It's called Chronosync. I don't know if you guys both are on on Macs Mm -hmm. um, at all, but I run Chronosync. It's from a company called Econ Technologies. And basically what it is, it's a a synchronization um, tool. Uh, you can run it on a scheduler or you can set up just, you know, separate jobs that you run, you know, on demand. But I run um, I run Chronosync and I have some scheduled tasks. Awesome. And so what happens is every night Chronosync runs and it backs up my working drive to my Drobo. So anything that I'm working on that day, all my edits, uh, revisions, any kind of if I've added you know new files or export or whatever, all that stuff um, automatically gets uh, copied over each night. And so it's not necessarily exactly workflow related, but it it is. Uh, I mean, it is. It's part of my workflow. So Chronosync basically copies the the uh, you know stuff that I'm working on that day to my Drobo. So it's always you know every night I know I've got a backup of whatever I've worked on that day, um, and it runs on a scheduler. So it just happens automatically. You know, I schedule it to run between twelve you know uh, twelve a.m. and six a.m. So it happens at night while I'm sleeping, um, and it's a good little tool for just synchronizing uh, data across um, multiple locations. Nice. So it's called yeah, that's Chronosync. A- that's super important. Having everybody needs to have some kind of a backup system. I use my, I don't use Chronosync, but I use a similar program. And I actually tell it to back up my Lightroom preset folder hmm. because I'm, I'm working on two different la- a laptop and a desktop. Yep. And so I'm, and I'm always making and writing presets and selling them and stuff like that. And so I never know where I'm actually creating the presets. And so I use my synchronization program to sync through cloud services to get back to the other computer. So they're constantly syncing yeah. in order to keep my, all of my presets synced. I'm hoping because Adobe, otherwise I would have to copy them and paste them. Yeah. I'm hoping Adobe will eventually sort of implement that in Lightroom, like they've done with Photoshop and some of the other applications right? is just have yeah, it where you log in you know, wherever you are, whatever computer you are, you log in with your Adobe account and all just all your stuff just is there in Lightroom. That would be ideal. Right. Hopefully they, yeah, they got Photoshop synchronizing settings. Why can't they have Lightroom synchronized yeah. settings? I'm sure they're working on it. Probably. Well, maybe. <laughs> maybe. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see cool. how long that takes. I've yeah. been asking since Lightroom 2. So. <laughs> 
baby steps, baby steps. They, they're not going to be fat. There's, there's no baby. need to keep bugging us every six. It's like my wife says when there's stuff to do around the house. I said, look, honey, I know you've asked me. I said, there's no need to keep pestering me every six months to do that thing around the house. It'll, it'll get done. It's it's not going to get done anyway. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Good stuff. Well, those are some great picks. Again, we'll link to our picks of the week in the show notes. And that does bring us to the end of another episode of TWIP Weddings. Um, if you are listening on our website, uh, please be sure to subscribe to the show using the box on the right. Um, you can also sign up for our email list that uh, will notify you of new episodes and get exclusive subscriber bonuses. Uh, and of course, if you have feedback, suggestions, or comments about the show, you can reach us directly by using our contact form. Just click the Contact Us menu at the top of the page and choose TWIP Weddings. So before we depart uh, and bid adieu, what's, what's kind of everybody up to and where can our audience go to find you? I know, Jared, you've got something kind of cooking, so. Well, uh, by the time you hear this, we'll have come back from Prague, so we're I'm off to Prague this September. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will be all over the board um, come January. So we'll be at all of the various WPPIs and PPAs and and uh, imaging and all that kind of stuff. Plus, I'm going to be over at Mystic. Mm-hmm. So Mystic will be a fun time. That's uh, on the West Coast now instead of the East Coast. And, it's in Portland, isn't uh, it? Yeah, Portland. Yeah. And then, of course, we've got uh, online workshops and stuff like that. So we're, we're building them now, actually. And so those will be available by the time you hear this. We will have a very cool online workshop. So we're literally filming a workshop inside of the studio. So people can come into the studio and like live with me in the studio for the day <laughs> Very um, cool. and see, and see everything. Cause a lot of times, you know, I go on creative live and I teach a workflow class, but I'm sitting at a desk that's not mine. And I'm, I, I can only bring in a, you know, fake drive or something. Cause it's not the real drive. Cause the real drives at home. And so this is kind of like, Come into the studio with me, and I'm going to show you where everything exists, how I use it, how this synchronizes to that. Like, you literally see the workflow from start to finish inside of the studio where it all actually happens. So, so it'll, it'll be good. Uh, it'll, it'll be done by the time you listen to this. Excellent. Very good. And where can people go if they want to see that? They're going to go to jaredplatt.com, and then there is a photography education link. Go there and you will see it. Excellent. Excellent. And where else, if they want to find you online, where besides your website, where else can they go to follow There's you? There's Twitter, Jared Platt, at Jared Platt. There's Facebook, Jared Platt. There's uh, Instagram, Jared Platt. So it's all J-A-R-E-D-P-L-A-T-T. So Awesome. Just search for that. There's only one other Jared Platt that I know of, and he is a, a World Federation wrestler who has passed on to the other side. So... I'm not the wrestler who died. You're not the wrestler who died. Okay. Photographer who's still alive. So just excellent. So, so the other Jared Platt is probably not posting a lot these days. On He's not media. posting a lot, but uh, he, he died recently of cancer. So we uh, feel sad for his family. But uh, anyway, those are the only two Jared Platts you'll find it. There you go. And Mr. Capricci, what have you got going on these days? Tis wedding season and doing our thing. Everything is crushing over here at Sprout Studio. Uh, by the time this goes live, the next version will be out. So we're just working on f- final testing on that stuff. So keeping nice and uh, uh, 
I, I was not busy, but we're, we're keeping nice and full with Occupied. our schedules and our time and our energy and attention right now with that. So that's a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, uh, sproutingphotographer.com. Listeners know they can find me over there. Um, that's where everything to do with the business of photography that I write and do a podcast on uh, is over there. We're on episode 250 some odd right now. So we're we're up and going with that and having a lot of fun. Jared's been on the show, which is a lot of fun back on, I think, episode 80-some on way back in the day. <laughs> way back in the day. Way back um, in the day. The old, the old days. Yeah, the back old days. Back in the old yeah. days. Back when Lightroom 3 yeah. was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's that's fun. And then uh, anyone that wants to dig into Sprout Studio or give that a shot, uh, get SproutStudio.com is where you can find that. And on the social webs, um, we actually, as Sprout Studio, um, we are on Instagram now, which is kind of cool. So come find us. uh, It's just get Sprout Studio. Or if you want to find me anywhere on the web, it's BCAP Photo, B-C-A-P-P-H-O-T-O. Awesome. Good stuff. Again, we'll link to all that. And if you are looking for me, you'll find me over at my website, uh, which is momentsindigital.com. Probably the blog is the best spot to keep up with uh, what we've been up to, our recent weddings and things we've been working on. Uh, And if you want to follow me online, uh, I'm at Bruce Clark uh, with an E at the end. So Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Snapchat, though, there was already a Bruce Clark. So unlike Jared, I didn't, there was another Bruce Clark and he stole my identity on Snapchat. So you uh, have to go Bruce curse, Clark to curse those doppelgangers, those doppelgangers <laughs> out there. I tell you, I got to find this other Bruce Clark and see what he's up to. <laughs> you, you were just going to say you were going to off him. Like, no, yeah, I wouldn't say I know that. it. You were going to send a hitman after. No, 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 no. I don't operate like that. No, no. There's <laughs> Awesome. And of course, if you're looking for us and the show, uh, be sure to visit our website at thisweekinphoto.com. There you'll find this show and all the other great shows that are part of the TWIP network. And once again, we want to thank you for listening to TWIP Weddings, uh, raising the bar one wedding at a time. Mm -hmm.